Welcome to the Shining Light Podcast. This is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise with Eva Wyatt. And today we're going to be talking about an issue that has really gone and made waves in Christianity here the last few years. In fact, uh, it's it splintered some good friendships and different things like that within uh, Christianity, but it really shouldn't because the Bible, I believe, is pretty clear on the issue. And we're going to be talking about interfaith dialogue. Now, what in the world is interfaith dialogue, Patrick? You know, I was wondering that too the first time I actually went to one of those. We'll talk a little bit about that later. It, I didn't know what I was going to. I just heard there was a Muslim going to be speaking to a group of people. I didn't realize I was actually going into a interfaith dialogue meeting, which is bringing representatives of Christianity, supposedly, and I would say more than likely apostate Christianity, Islam, and Judaism together in one room and having a dialogue seeking common ground. How can we kind of bring these faiths together? Right. Now, th- this is uh, just a really interesting idea. When when, it, when you look at it just at, at face value, it's kind of a... I remember the first time I saw it, too. My response was, what in the world is interfaith dialogue? Um, and yes, it's, it's going and bringing generally uh, two to three uh, different beliefs together, and they have discussions. And of course, the big idea is really, in my opinion, to move away from Christianity. Would, would you say that's a pretty good... It definitely is because we're talking about a nation that's our heritage is Christian, right? You could say Judeo-Christian, but certainly not Islamic. The real deal here is to bring these guys together, all of them together. And um, these are not what you call orthodox representations, at least of the Christian or the the Jewish faith, in my experience. Certainly not on the Christian side. Um, The Muslim, it's interesting that it could very well be, although in my instance it was a female representing Islam. Now that that wouldn't be happening in a Muslim country. No, no. In, in my experience with interfaith dialogue also, the Christian is generally apostate, and uh, the Jew is also generally apostate. And mm-hmm. then one of the two uh, was, I would say, a pretty accurate representation of Islam, and the other one was a woman who there's no way that would have been happening in a uh, Muslim nation. Either. But you can lie to defend Islam, so that part of it would be accurate. Takiya is right. always at these right. sort of things. The concept of lying for the furtherance of the faith, that is, is always part of an interfaith dialogue, at least from the Muslim side. Right, absolutely. The absolutely. Christian side, they're not they're not adhering to the, the tenets of the Christian faith. And in the Jewish side, that's also usually the case also. So, Right. Now, when it comes to interfaith dialogue, it's important that we understand what the Christian's view is. And what is the Christian's view? Uh, first of all, right away, uh, does the Christian believe that we can glean things from other religions? Or does a Christian have more of a really set uh, belief standard? Well, a Christian should have the Bible as the inspired and errant word of God, that all truth comes from the Bible outside of the Bible or anything that contradicts the Bible, therefore would not be truth and would be in conflict with the Bible. So Islam is in conflict with the Bible. Anything that would try to bring Islam in to give us better understanding or try to find common ground, the light tells us what fellowship does, or the Bible tells us what fellowship does light have with darkness. Right. And, and those are two, obviously the Bible's light and Islam is definitely darkness. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And in John 14, 6, Jesus makes it pretty clear with an exclusive statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's exclusive. Right. And, you know, that's something that really bothers me uh, when we look at this kind. Not not that Jesus is exclusive. That doesn't bother me. (laughs) Praise the Lord, Jesus is exclusive. Uh, Let me put my eyes back down. My eyebrows kind of shot up. So there we go. (laughs) But 
but one thing that really bothers me when we look at this kind of a thing is, is you start to talk to people and they seem to not understand what truth is. Truth by definition is exclusive, right? It is. Yeah. There's lots of opinions out there. Many opinions, but only one truth. That's right. And so when it comes to uh, religion, now there's nothing wrong in my mind about debating religion. I'm, I'm all for debating religion. We have to be able to defend Christianity. We have to be able to defend it against these other things. But to have a dialogue where you're seeking to find common ground, well, what common ground does truth have with a lie? Is there any common ground? There shouldn't be, but in today's world, that's exactly what's happening. They're trying to, to mesh everything together where there's no longer black or white. It's all just shades of gray. Right. And, and I just look at this like it's like there's something in between truth and a lie. I mean, have you ever heard the, the statement, a half truth is equal to how much of a lie? A hundred percent of a lie. That's a right. It's, lie. it's a whole lie. Yeah. And, and, and yet we're, we're willing to say that. But then when it comes to interfaith dialogue, we, we just kind of like Christian, Christians today, Christianity today is getting stupid. They just are like, well... We can't say that. I mean, it's all, have you ever heard this one here? It's all an Abrahamic faith. Yeah, that, that's one of the things you will hear, and meaning that all, all these religions are derived from Abraham. Now, the Bible certainly tells us about Judaism. The Jewish people came from Abraham. That was the covenant God made with the Jews, that his seed would be numerous as the sands of the sea. So, yes, the Jewish people came from Abraham, and, and so the Jewish faith or the Judaism. And, of course, out of that came the Messiah. The Jews didn't in, in whole recognize the Messiah at the time. But out of that came Christianity. So those two are, if you want to say, Abrahamic faiths. Islam came along 600 years after the death of Christ and claims to have uh, corrected the corrupted Bible, which was saying that God's Bible had been corrupted, obviously. And that, so they can make a claim also to being of the Abrahamic faith. They claim that Abraham was, was the father, but the chosen one was not Isaac, it was Ishmael. So the Arabs are the chosen people of God, and it continues to twist all the way through there. That's, that's what Islam does. So there was nothing really new that Muhammad made up. It's just the stories he heard as a boy growing up, some Christian, some Jewish, and, and other different faiths meshed together in his mind. He, he manufactured this new faith called Islam. And has nothing... I mean, it, it would be like uh, me writing, a, a, say, a Star Wars story, but completely turning a character and saying, well, it's, it's legitimate what I wrote. Well, obviously it's not. Right. Right. It's, it's absolutely not legitimate. I mean, they're, they're two totally different things uh, there. And it's, it's kind of an interesting idea there that they're saying that it's, it, it, they're, they're all Abrahamic faith is what they'd like to say. But the problem is, is even if they would all would claim Abraham, the problem is, is that Abraham would only claim one of them. Well, it's claimed that even Adam was, you know, we've talked about Islam before, even Adam himself was a Muslim, Jesus was a Muslim, all the characters of the Bible were Muslims, and they were Muslims before, not just before Muslim was cool, before Muslim was even invented. <laughs> right, right. I was a Muslim before Muslim was cool. <laughs> yeah, there were Muslims before Muhammad, yeah, but Muhammad is the father of Islam. Yeah, we never heard of it before, so. Probably not. No. My guess is no. Uh, but today, we, we, we're looking at this idea of interfaith dialogue, and if, if you enjoy what you're listening to so far, go ahead and go to theshininglightministries.com. Once again, that's theshininglightministries.com, and check out all of our podcasts and our articles. We've got a ton of stuff on Islam. We've got a primer on Islam, part one, two, and epilogue, mm -hmm. uh, and we also have that as uh, all combined together in a 
uh, free ebook that you can check out. You can find that right on our website. Go to the Shining Light uh, store and you can find it there for free. Can't beat that price. Uh, but you can find out all kinds of different resources. But go ahead and follow us there at the shininglightministries.com and then also follow our podcast at uh, on iTunes or Google Play um, by finding the Shining Light Podcast. And you can also find us now uh, on SoundCloud and I believe Stitcher also by going to uh, Gatekeepers Podcast. Gatekeepers Podcast. Uh, we're, we're on that network also. And you can also find us on Worldview Weekend. You can find us anywhere you want, basically, at this point in time. We're everywhere. Right. But today we're looking at interfaith dialogue. Now, who are some of the key figures in Christianity today who are pushing this idea of interfaith dialogue? Well, one of the main ideas you're going to hear that kind of introduce you to the interfaith dialogue thought is that we all worship the same God. Now, in a broader sense, this is uh, occultic pantheism, Gnosticism, that God's everywhere and in all things. Um, But obviously, Islam and uh, Christianity, God's not in all things, but the claim is that we, both faiths, would worship the same God. And I'm just going to quote here from an interview that was the Gospel Coalition interview, Trevin Wax for the Gospel Coalition. And it's interesting now, when he makes his statement, he says, You make the case, and he's talking to J.D. Greer, who's now president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So Trevin Wax, the interviewer, says, You make the case that Muslims do worship the same God as Christians. Okay, so there's the the statement. That's not me saying it. That's that's Trevin Wax making the statement, although with with the obvious errors in understanding. So he's asking him now, Can you elaborate on how you came to the conclusion and how you would maintain uh, major distinctions between Muslims and Christians' understanding of God? So now, if you didn't, if that question was asked to me, that I uh, make the case that Muslim and Christian, first thing I'd say is, no, I don't. Well, here's the answer from J.D. Greer. This is a tough question that has considerable amount of complexity to it. But at the end of the day, I think the question of whether or not you use the word, the Arabic name for God, Allah, is more of a practical question than a theological one. Now, Pastor Sam... What? <laughs> Doesn't that seem like that might be a theological question to you? Do the God of the Bible versus the false God of the Quran? Yeah, that, that's a theological question. Um, <laughs> What's it's, the first commandment anyway? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. <laughs> okay, that might um, be it. Yeah, that kind of yeah, seems theological. Yeah, that, that's definitely theological. I mean, th- this is... J.D. <laughs> Greer, who slapped you with a stupid stick twice? That's what I want to know. I mean, and, and I don't say that to be mean, but, uh, but I'm looking here and I'm going... Uh, Anybody who thinks J.D. Greer is a theologian? Listen to a sermon. <laughs> yeah. I, sometimes you just can't fix stupid. That's the problem. Um, but but you're looking at, at J.D. Greer here, and, and he says, this is a tough question. First of all, it's, it's not a tough, tough question at all. No, it's a yes uh, or no. Well, and here's my thing. I, you don't even need theological background. Is the God of the Quran the same as the God of the Bible? Not here's, even remotely. If they were the same, the Quran and the Bible would say the same things. And they would mesh. And they would not be contradictory on practically every level. Right, right. I mean, so first of all, when you look at it this way, you can tell that J.D. Greer just simply hasn't studied the Quran or hasn't studied the Bible or hasn't studied either. It really makes you scratch your head. How can a supposed learned man like this make such a, a statement like this? I mean, it, it, I, don't, I don't get it. Right, and, and there's a, a, a considerable amount of complexity. What's complex? Okay, I, my, I, my name is Sam. Your name is Patrick. 
because we are both people, does that make us the same person? That's a pretty complex question. I might have to think about this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you read, I've read the Bible, of course, and I've read the Quran, and there's really no comparison. There, there's no comparison whatsoever in style, in formatting, in text, in meaning, in truth. There, there's no question. I, I actually expected the Quran to be a lot more slick than what it was. It's not. No, I. Well, I remember one time, uh, my, I think I was in junior high, my aunt came over and she was talking to me and she was saying how, you know, uh, Islam is a peaceful religion. Now, I just happened to be reading the Quran at the time. And I said, um, no, it's not. She goes, yes, it is. And I said, no, it's not. Let me, let me go grab it. I start reading it. And she, first of all, I had an electronic version, so I pulled up it on a laptop. And uh, she's going, well, you're probably reading from a, a Christian uh, program. And that, that's skewed. I said, no, this is, this is Britannica's encyclopedia. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll accept it then. <laughs> and, and we start reading. And I really didn't even have anything bookmarked. I just knew from reading it that if I read for at least three minutes, I would come to a point where it would say, and slit their throats, <laughs> slit the infidel's throats. Go right to the verse of the sword, Sarah, chapter 9, and that'll, that's pretty much what it does. Right, the entire time. And so I, I just start reading, and pretty soon I say that, and I go, look, this, this is not peaceful. That doesn't sound very peaceful to me. Did it sound peaceful to you? Well, you don't take everything in the Bible literally, do you? Well, as a dispensationalist, I said, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you have different Muslim organizations that are sponsoring these events or student organizations, typically all leftist um, organizations that will put these things together. They will find the liberals in the so-called representatives of the church, which they are obviously an apostate, doesn't represent the church of Christ. It represents Satan, but under the guise of Christ. And they put these people together and they bring people in, the unsuspecting, and they say, well, look, yeah, we basically are just like J.D. Greer said. We're, we kind of do worship the same God. And definitively, we don't worship the same God, that there is no common ground with Islam. To say that is to, is to either be aligned with Islam or not to understand what Islam's about, which is the worldwide implementation of Sharia, which is Islamic law. And it's to be done by whatever means necessary. And typically, uh, at some point, violence is in the equation, jihad. And we've talked about this before um, in our Islam. And if you haven't saw that, you should, as Sam was giving you the references. Go check that out. Get a, a firm understanding of Islam in your mind and then compare that. Does that match up with Christianity? Right. It's, it, it's nowhere near. And I find it very interesting that J.D. Greer says that this is, a, is more of a practical question than a theological one. And what he's getting at here is he's saying that uh, when basically when Muslims uh, go and they were to accept Christ, so to say, uh, that they could keep using the same word for God, Allah, as what they used before, because it's, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. It's, it's more practical for them to not change. Well, here's the problem. The Bible tells us, this is the theology here coming out, the Bible tells us that when we are saved, we have become new creations, old things have passed away, behold, all things except for the name of God has become new, right? No, it says all things have become new. All means all, and that's all all means. Well, well, before there was uh, Allah, before this religion was invented in the Arabic language, there's another word for God. I don't, I've got it somewhere. I can't look it up. But it's it's become so popular, so affiliated in the Arab world or the, the Muslim world that it's, that's the name of God. But Allah is a proper name of a pagan God prior to Islam being invented that was the moon God of the pagans. And just simply Muhammad's tribe who invented Islam 
they seized that and he seized that name and made him the premier, the one god over the other pagan gods. There's a pagan god for every day of the year pretty much back in those days. So that's where that comes from. So that pagan name for God, and, and, and I've read other things that goes back even and is related to like Molech, right? Mm -hmm. So they all have origins moving forward. But it, the, the point is it was never Yahweh. It was never the God of the Bible. That derivative, Allah, has never been equated to the God of the Bible ever, except for an interfaith dialogue today and by people like J.D. Greer. Right. And, and if you go and you look at the Old Testament and you start reading the Old Testament, you'll find that when God goes and he tells people to go and to, uh, to destroy the, the, the land of Canaan, one of the big things that he hits on repeatedly is the idea of destroying the altars of Baal or whatever uh, God they're worshiping there, uh, Moloch Ashtra, or whatever. tear down Ash the poles yeah. of Ashtra. Right. And it's not because God wasn't worshiped through sacrifice on altars in the Old Testament. He was. What was it? It was the issue that it was associated with a different God, and he didn't want that distraction. He is, in fact, a jealous God, and so he wants it his altar, not a borrowed God's altar. But continuing on, there's another big guy uh, in Christianity today, another big name that really goes and he hits on this uh, kind of stuff. In fact, he's probably the author of what we'd call Chrislam. Would that be a pretty good way to? Yeah, and he to doesn't that? like that that association, but that's exactly it's it's accurate. Right, and this is Rick Warren. So tell us just a little bit about Rick Warren and how he tells us about partnering with Islam. Well, that's exactly what he wants to do: is partner with Islam so we can come together and we can do community projects and we can help people. Sounds pretty good if we could do that. That's again not understanding what Islam's about. They're not about helping people; they're about converting people forcibly or or, or killing off the opposition. But there's a newspaper article that came out. Uh, this was March 2nd, 2012 in the Orange County Register. It was titled, Rick Warren Builds Bridges to Muslims. And uh, that doesn't sound too bad. We're supposed to be reaching out, right? So here, here's what it says. starts out, The Reverend Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, which is in California, and one of America's most influential Christian leaders, in fact, he's been called America's pastor, has embarked on an effort to head to heal divisions between evangelical Christians and Muslims by partnering with Southern California Mosque and proposing a set of theological principles that include the acknowledging that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Now this is a guy writing an article that he was just observing. He didn't have a dog in the, in the fight one way or the other. He was just reporting on what he was observing. So um, that didn't go up too well because in the Christian world that sent off some shockwaves that, that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Now this is 2012. So it was kind of shocking to hear that at the time. And of course Warren said that's not what we're about. Uh, investigation proved that's exactly what was going on. And Chrislam is the result of that, the merging of those two faiths. And I'll just talk about Chrislam for a second. There are churches now that have Chrislam Sundays. So Christianity, Islam, Chrislam, you would go to one of those churches and in the pews would be a Bible and next to it a Quran. And in the, if you want to call it a sermon, I wouldn't call it that, they would read from both the Bible and the Quran, giving verses. Or they might have an imam come in on a Sunday and give you a nice little talk on how we can all uh, live together peaceably. In fact, this would be like the coexist license or the uh, bumper stickers you see. Of course, in the Quran it says, you shall not take friends of the of the people of the book, which would be the Jews, or the Nazria, which is the Arabic word for the Nazarenes, or after Jesus, of Nazareth. And if you do, that your place is with those infidels. You, you know, you belong in hell with them as well. So you are forbidden in the Quran to make friends with the Christians and Jews. But there's a caveat to that. 
You can pretend to make friends with the Christians and Jews if your intent is to lull them into a false sense of security, to get them to lower their defenses in the future that you would be able to use that to now forcibly take over as, as Muhammad did in um, Medina when he took there, when he went there, part of the migration out of Mecca. So you can pretend to take friends if that's a ploy to uh, forcibly establish yourself, take over the community, destroy the population, take over a nation. So as a temporary thing, you can appear to be friends. Now Warren either doesn't get that or doesn't care or doesn't believe it. Okay, one of those things. But so there's your Chrislam for you. And he had the he's his his actual initiative was called the King's Way, which they denounced, saying that that never happened. But again, there's actually a picture of this that they didn't get taken down to the net. So um, this is just another example. Again, I said that was in 2012, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, here we are in 2019. Now you have people like J.D. Greer saying it. At the time, 2012, just a few years back, it was kind of a shock. But now that the initial shock's over, we're becoming more and more desensitized to it. Now it's more acceptable to say it openly. Right, and that's kind of how the, the Hegelian dialectic works. <laughs> that idea of that slow compromise, and clearly we're seeing that slow compromise uh, of the church, and it's speeding up every day, and it's really uh, become popularized through this idea of interfaith dialogue. And that's what we're talking about today on the Shining Light podcast is interfaith dialogue. We're really looking at this idea of interfaith dialogue. And if you want to find out more about Islam... Uh, you can go to our website and find a primer on Islam, the DVD. We've got a free ebook on this. We've got articles on this. We've done some podcasts on this. But tell us just a little bit about this DVD, a, a primer on Islam. Well, this is a talk I did in 2013 to a, a group in Wisconsin. It's me talking and going over what Islam is. So um, I had a few notes, but I was just, I, I just recently, I hadn't been out of Kuwait that long. So I've been in Kuwait for quite a while. And, of course, been studying Islam over there from that vantage point, which is interesting when you're in a Muslim nation doing that. But so it's it's me talking for about an hour and 51 minutes or so. So um, you can break it up, but also answering questions at the end. That's part of it. I'm just giving you a good overview of Islam. Um, it's stuff you really need to know because what you're hearing uh, in, from the media and in a lot of churches, which is sad to say, is not accurate at all. Islam has a very well-financed and organized propaganda wing to it. CARE, Council on American Relations, is one of its premier. Um, Islamic Society of North America, largest pro-Muslim organization in the country. All these groups together are pushing the concept that there's nothing wrong with Islam. Let us integrate into your society. And the second part of it is that they don't tell you is so we can destroy it. Right. And you can find that at theshininglightministries.com. Once again, it's theshininglightministries.com. You can get that for $10. Then if you want to get the twin pack, which includes Is America a Christian Nation? Uh, also by Patrick Wyatt, you can get that for another $5. So that's a pretty good deal right there. You get that for 15 But you mentioned there, Patrick, about care. Now, you have a little bit of experience uh, with some discussions about care and interfaith dialogue. Would you, no pun intended, care to uh, tell us about that? Maybe yeah. there was some pun intended. <laughs> a little bit of pun intended. Yeah, I was, I was uh, actually heading to the gym one day and got a call that, hey, there's some Muslims speaking at the community college. Would you come over and, you know, you want to hear what they got to say? And I said, well, sure I do. So I diverted over there, and, and sure enough, it wasn't just Muslims speaking. Again, it was uh, um, representatives of, of the, I think it was Episcopalian lady pastor, which, of course, the Bible says men should be pastors of churches. So right there should 
be a tip off what kind of a Christian perspective I was going to get. And of course, she and the other representatives up there were all for Islam. And in fact, the state director of CARE was up there. Council on American Islamic Relations, which is a front group for Hamas, the terrorist group. So these are the mouthpieces for terrorist group, raising funds and trying to get us to lower our guards, as I said. So uh, they, they did their spiel, and I, I sit in the back and listen. Then they gave us time. Does anybody want to talk? Well, I got in line to get to a microphone. And when I got to the microphone, I asked some questions that she didn't like at all. <laughs> she got pretty hostile and defensive right from the get-go. And uh, I talked a, a, just a little bit more, and then my time, they said, was up. They didn't want to hear anything else from me. So uh, it was my first experience with interfaith dialogue. And, and the sad thing to me was I'm sitting in a room of people that didn't know any better. And they were kind of eating this stuff up. And, you know, they're happy that the Muslims were, were reaching out and, and seemingly being peaceful people. Can we coexist? It was, you know, that's the question. Let me give you a little uh, quote here. And this is from Syed Qutub. He's a Muslim Brotherhood leader at the time. Um, this is, you know, 50s, early 60s. Spiritual leader of the modern jihad movement. And he's executed in 1966 for plotting to assassinate Egyptian President Nasser. Okay. So this is what he says. Here's his idea of interfaith dialogue, and this is the Muslim world idea, okay? Not, not every Muslim, but I'm talking about those that are in charge and those that are moving Islam forward. Quote, interfaith dialogue is a one-way bridge to bring the non-Muslim to the side of the Muslim, not the other way around. And th that's actually been exactly my experience with uh, interfaith dialogue from what I, I could see. And you had some experience with interfaith dialogue as well. Yeah, I've, I've been to a couple of them. Uh, never invited as a speaker, right? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think you will be from now on either. You won't be the representative of Christianity. Now, that would be great if they actually did have a real Christian representative on that panel. It, it, it would be, uh, although I believe that the Christian would take it more of a debate than a dialogue. Uh, so he'd be defending his faith instead of trying to find any common ground, uh, because there is no common ground with the truth and a lie. Um, but the first one I went to was at the local university, uh, University of Northern Iowa here, and it was uh, pretty interesting. As, as I went there, it was put on by the Muslim Student Society or something like that. I don't remember what they call themselves. Uh, but it was supposed to be this, this interfaith dialogue. And come to find out, they were giving away Qurans. They're giving away all these pamphlets about Islam. But I didn't see any Bibles or Old Testaments there. In the Quran, from what I saw, they, they really watered it down. Yeah, it, it was a pretty watered-down Quran. <laughs> Uh, I think the Noble Quran or something like that, isn't that what it was called? They should have called it the uh, Flooded Quran because it was full yeah. of water. And uh, they had a, I don't remember what, what the denomination of the Christian was, but he, he was up there. And then they had a uh, not very orthodox Jewish rabbi because uh, it was a she. And so you can't really be too orthodox <laughs> yeah. in being a uh, female a rabbi. Yeah. And, and they were giving, going up there and the, the rabbi, she was, uh, she was just basically a universalist. And the Christian, mm -hmm. uh, he he basically denied the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, now, they didn't give a chance for everyone to ask questions. You had to write them down. They hand-selected them. Of course, they didn't select my question to ask. I wonder why. And, uh, probably from dealing with me last time, so where they were going to let people have an open microphone. <laughs> it, 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 so I, I went up and asked my question to the, the Christian afterwards, and uh, he didn't like it. I asked him, how do you deal with exclusive statements like John fourteen six? And basically, he said, well, you'd have to believe... Uh, that uh, in inerrancy, and he wouldn't commit to believing in inerrancy in Scripture. And that was very similar to the second one I went to, which was at a uh, public library. Now, the interesting thing is I would say it wasn't actually an interfaith dialogue. They were all feminists, uh, spe humanists, specifically feminists, in their belief system. 
But nonetheless, it was uh, a, a quote-unquote Christian. It was a deaconess. Well, a deacon is what she said, but I, uh, that's a masculine word, so I don't know how that works. Uh, an Episcopal church. Uh, and then there was also a, uh, once again, a not Orthodox Jewish rabbi because it was a she. And then there was uh, a Muslim, also probably, well, it was a, a lady who was representing it. You won't find any and, imams in a Muslim country that are female. Right. But, but they did allow me to ask a question. And I was, I was civil the entire time. I was the last question of the night. And I just asked how they deal with exclusive statements. I quoted from the Quran, then I quoted from, I quoted from Surah 9, and then I quoted from uh, John 14, 6. Jesus said, In the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. And the Muslim uh, claimed universalism. She practiced tikiyah. Uh, the, the Christian went out there and said, Well, we can't believe the word of God. Wow. Yeah, I, we wow. we have to we have to believe Jesus's actions, not his words. And then I I pointed out I said, well, th- this is from the same gospel where we find Jesus's actions, specifically the ones that you're pointing out. So how does that work? She didn't have an answer for that. And then the uh, the rabbi tried to go in to turn the entire room against me by going and saying, "What are you even doing here?" and asking a question like that and all this kind of stuff. And, How uh, dare you try to expose things with the truth? Right. It was crazy. Well, I mean, it, I think this is the only relevant question. How do you deal with the exclusive statements when it well, comes to interfaith dialogue? you're not used to people dialogue? like you showing up to ask them these questions. You're used right. to rooms of people that don't know any better. Right. And so interfaith dialogue, it's all about going in, pushing people to become more sympathetic towards Islam. That's what it's about. Yep. Any closing thoughts? Because I totally went over the time. No, that's good. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> okay. Well, that's about all you need to know about Interfaith Dialogue. And for the Shining Light Podcast, this is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise with Eva Wyatt. Have a great day. You hear him talking about evolution. I saw some